So this morning, uh, we're going to consider God's word from Psalm 46. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at Psalm 84. Uh, this morning, as you find 46 from home, we're looking at Psalm 46 because uh, it's been a giant blessing to me this week. Like me, I'm assuming that you're all experiencing a mixture of fear and frustration as this crisis uh, continues to unfold. Some of you are legitimately afraid of catching COVID-19. Some of you are afraid that the people you love might catch it. Uh, some of you are afraid for your job because of all the, the shutdowns and the restrictions, right? There's plenty of fear. And there's plenty of frustration. Some of you are frustrated that you can't make a plan because it seems like everything changes at least twice a day. Some of you are frustrated that you're stuck at home and you're feeling lonely. Uh, some of you are frustrated that the weather has conspired to keep us all stuck inside, which is not a great place to be if you have energy that can't be burned off well. And that's not just talking about kids. We adults have energy too, but it's best burned off outside, don't we? Um, fear and frustration. Now that we have those feelings is actually natural and even good. God created feelings, so feelings are not bad. But how we handle those feelings can be good or bad. If we handle them well, fear and frustration can actually be important ways that we grow in faith and in love as we learn to respond to them righteously. But if we handle those feelings poorly, they will gnaw away at our faith in Jesus and they will deeply hinder our love for him and for those he has put around us. Psalm 46 is a word from God aimed at helping us handle fear and frustration well. And here's how it does that. And here are going to be our points this morning. First, it teaches us that Jesus is our close refuge. Second, it teaches us that Jesus is our refuge who provides us nourishment and victory. And both of those things, as, by the way, allow us to introduce our fears and frustrations to Jesus in such a way that we uh, continue to grow in faith and love. And then our third point this morning, finally, is that Psalm 46 teaches us to wait quietly for our refuge, which is a word that teaches us to, uh, how to turn our fears and frustrations into worship and service in Jesus' name. So again, our three points are, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus is our close refuge. Jesus is our refuge who provides nourishment and victory. And then finally, we need to wait quietly in our refuge. So let's read Psalm 46, and then we'll get into it. Psalm 46, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a psalm. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, 
how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this word which you have given us this morning. And Father, we pray now that as your people, you would give us uh, ears to hear it, minds to understand it, and hearts to believe it, uh, so that we might uh, learn how you are our refuge, that we might trust in you and live out of faith and through faith in you. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and the meditation of our hearts as those called to hear and re respond to your word this morning be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the first thing we're going to look at is how Jesus is our close refuge. And that's the first thing we're looking at because that's just verse 1, right? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, so kids, when the psalmist says that God is our refuge, what he means is God is like our castle. And like a castle, a refuge is a place where people are protected from bad things. It's a place with high and thick walls and strong and locked doors that you go to to keep you safe from bad guys and armies and natural disasters like tornadoes and hurricanes. That's what a refuge is. It's a safe place. <clears throat> so Jesus is our place of safety, and he's our strength. Now, some people think that God being our strength here means that God gives us the internal strength we need to stand and to fight well against the dangers that attack us. But in terms of Psalm 46, I, I don't think so. Uh, as, we'll, as we go through the psalm, what you're going to see is the emphasis is very much on us hiding in God, and then God going out and fighting for us. Uh, so while the point is certainly true, right? Like God does empower obedience in us and strengthen us. I don't think that's the point Psalm 46 is making when it says that God is our strength. <clears throat> Instead, I think Psalm 46 is thinking in terms of an invasion. So if you're an invading army, are you going to attack a strong nation that has lots of forts and castles and is fully manned by soldiers and tanks? Or are you going to attack a weak nation that has few forts and very little weaponry? Right, you're going to attack the weaker one because stronger nations are harder to defeat than weaker nations. And what the psalmist is saying here is that God is our place of refuge, a place of thick walls and locked doors, and he's also our strength because his power makes us incredibly difficult to defeat. But here's the thing about fortresses and castles and places of refuge, and even military strength. They don't help you unless you are near them. Uh, so if you watch a show, and cartoons are particularly... Um, uh, a particularly good place to see this. If you watch a show where the good guys are being attacked and they're outnumbered and the bad guys have bigger guns than the good guys do, what do the good guys want to do? They want to get back to their base, right? Because their base is their refuge. 
Outside of our refuge, we are exposed and vulnerable, but inside of our refuge, we are safe and strong. <clears throat> but what makes Jesus such an amazing refuge is that we don't have to go to him. He comes to us. As a matter of fact, he's always with us. We are never without our refuge, right? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. My friends, to meet our fears and to help us, Jesus wants us to know that he is our place of safety and protection. He does not leave us vulnerable or exposed. Jesus is our very present help in trouble. Now, I should probably just stop the sermon there, say amen, and we can go about our day. But I imagine at least a few of you are wondering, what does that mean? Or maybe you're asking it this way, how does Jesus display his present help in trouble? And I think that's a good question. And the answer comes in our second point. But before we go there, I want to make just one more observation. You don't need a refuge if there's no danger. You only need a refuge if there are scary things that are threatening to hurt you and hurt the ones you love. And that's why verses 2 and 3 are so important to the context this morning. He says, verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The psalmist's point in verses 2 and 3 is to picture the world at its scariest. Earthquakes, that's what the earth giving way means. Mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. I mean, what is scarier than the idea of these huge, massive, immovable things just falling into the ocean? Well, maybe it's the picture of the global flood swallowing the whole world again, which is what the image of the waters roaring and foaming and making the mountains tremble at its swelling, right? They're trembling because the water is going to swell above them. So earthquakes, mountains falling, global flooding. The psalmist is really drawing a picture of decreation here, isn't he? All life is ending. It's a, I think it's equivalent to what we think of when we talk about global nuclear disaster. Now, Jesus doesn't just talk that way here in Psalm 46 because it's powerful poetry. There are real dangers. There are global dangers, like pandemics. And Jesus wants us to know that he is our close refuge at these times, too. He is strong. He is safe. He is near. The world is dangerous, and Jesus is with us. That's the point of the first three verses of Psalm 46. Okay, so what does our refuge look like? How does Jesus express his strength and protection to us when the earth seems to give way? How do we experience Jesus' help when we are afraid that we might die or that people we love might die? How is Jesus our help when our lives are changing twice a day and our economic future is uncertain? How does Jesus protect us 
and make his presence known to us when the waters are roaring and foaming all around us. Well, that's verses 4 through 7. Verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So I'm just going to point out a couple of things here. First, in verse 4, when the psalmist talks about a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the word there for river is the word that's most often used for canal. So there's a couple of things going on here. The first is there's a contrast between the crazy out of control waters that threaten to destroy us in verse 3 with the useful in control waters that Jesus sustains us with and that come from him. Because water that comes out of your kitchen faucet is useful, right? You can fill up a cup, it's in control. Water that comes at you from a tidal wave is not useful. So that's one part of the image. Jesus is useful because he comes to us in a way that is helpful and controlled and life-giving. The other part of the image connects to what refuges need during a time of siege. And kids, siege means when bad guys have completely surrounded your castle and have cut you off from all help. So what do you need during a siege? You need water on the inside of your refuge. So again, kids, if you have an army surrounding your castle, do you want to go outside your castle to get water? No, right? That would be a bad idea. To go out to where the bad guys are and hope that you can get enough water for yourself and everyone else inside the castle before the bad guys start shooting at you, that's not a good idea. So what you need is water that flows into your castle, that comes into your refuge, because then everyone has all the water that they need and no one has to be in danger to get it. And that's what the psalmist is telling us that Jesus is for us. Jesus is the water of life who comes to us when we are surrounded and in danger and we cannot come and get that water of life ourselves. Now the idea of God being water, uh, that's not just a neat picture. The Bible uses the image of water all the time to help us understand the way that Jesus loves us actively today. And, and the psalmist is certainly drawing upon all of that biblical imagery of water. So notice that this river or this canal of water is making glad the city of God, right? Where God lives. And the Bible is very clear that this location, right? This city of God, where God lives, often called Zion. That's where God does amazing things for us. Again, often using that imagery of water. So in the Bible, Zion, the city of God, is where God forgives sins. And how does God describe the forgiveness of sins? Well, he describes it by washing us clean. Right? And doesn't the Bible say that Jesus is the water who washes us clean, who washes away our sins? And when you're afraid and frustrated, you sin. I sin, right? We sin. 
and we sin a lot. We respond in anger and we yell, or we respond in anger and we give people the silent treatment. Uh, we respond selfishly and demand that people uh, stop having needs that they want us to meet, or we respond selfishly by demanding that other people meet our needs first. We harbor bitterness in our hearts when we are sinned against. We withhold forgiveness or we withhold repentance. We grumble against one another and then we complain about one another, not seeking spiritual guidance, but rather an ally to help us to get back at the person we're complaining about, right? We sin against each other when we are angry and frustrated. And of course, we sin against Jesus. We sin against him by looking to idols for help. If you're like me this week, maybe you've realized that to calm your fears and help your frustrations, you've turned to government and money and Netflix for help. Uh, not that those things are, are bad things, right? Government, money, and Netflix are actually good things. But for me, I can tell you that I wasn't always looking to them as good gifts given to me by my good God to be used in good ways. Sometimes I looked at them as idols that would give me a deep sense of control and power and happiness rather than looking to Jesus. I didn't turn to prayer the way I should have. I didn't turn to the word the way I should have. And thus I didn't help others turn to prayer and the word the way that Jesus wanted them to. Right? We sin against God when we are afraid and frustrated. But... There is a channel of life-giving water that our triune God brings us while we are surrounded by danger. And that life-giving water is forgiveness. Jesus forgives our sins. And not just forgives them, but cleanses us and renews our relationships. Water in the Bible is a symbol of cleaning, of cleansing, and of rebirth. Just think about your baptism as an example of this. It symbolizes being washed clean of sin and being reborn in Jesus. So as we just talked about, when you think about how you've sinfully responded to your fears and frustrations this week, don't you want the damage that you've caused to your relationships to be cleaned up? Don't you want renewed relationships? And related to that, don't you want faith in Jesus to be restored and strengthened? I know I do. And that's what Jesus brings us, my friends. He brings us forgiveness. Relationships that are cleaned up by his grace. Relationships that are reborn through reconciliation and forgiveness and faith that is strengthened and made new in us and in those around us. So part of what God is interested in protecting and saving for us is our relationship with him and with each other. Because in times of crisis, our relationships, our individual faith and our corporate life of faith as a church, those things are always the most in danger because fear and frustration can very quickly destroy them. And so Jesus rushes his aid to us to protect us and to protect our faith and to repair our trust and to repair and strengthen our communion with him and with each other because he loves us. But Jesus is not only interested in protecting our faith and our relationship with him and our relationship with each other. He is. 
but he's also interested in protecting our physical lives too. And here I'm going to look at verses 5 through 9 together. So let's read those again, verse 5. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I'm going to just grab uh, two things from these verses. First, uh, I love the end of verse 5. God will help her when morning dawns. Uh, to my mind, that's clearly another way of saying that the mercy of the Lord is new every morning. Jesus does not give us stale, outdated grace. Which, if you think about what we just said about needing forgiveness, I think that is so comforting, right? Every morning, God gives us fresh grace, forgiveness, and renewal, and cleansing, and resurrection. But there's another part of his image, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible talks about a day when the Lord will bring an end to every scary thing. In the Old Testament, it's often called the day of the Lord. In the New Testament, it's called the day of Jesus' return. But what the psalmist is doing here is he's looking forward to the day when Jesus, our refuge, who fights for us, will act decisively and finally to end all danger. And related to that is the phrase, the Lord bringing desolations on the earth. Uh, now, the word for desolation refers to the results of God's righteous judgments. And depending on who you are, those results are good or bad. Um, it's bad if you're an unforgiven sinner or a death-dealing power, like a plague that God is judging. But it's good if you're a forgiven sinner or the person the death-dealing power was threatening. And here in this context, God's desolations are good. God is acting. He's, he's, he's giving judgment so that he can undo the death-dealing powers of the flood and the earthquake. And he's acting right, to undo the, the nuclear disaster and the pandemic. And he's acting to stop uh, war and death and enmity forever. Right? I just love that. He makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. See, the psalmist celebrates the coming day of the Lord when all that is scary and dangerous will stop. When our refuge, Jesus, puts an end to it once and for all. Now that day isn't here yet. But it is coming. And the Bible is clear that we are still waiting for it because Jesus is merciful. And Jesus isn't done pouring out his renewing water of grace into our lives and into the lives of our families and our neighbors, right? That is, Jesus isn't done saving sinners into his family yet. And as scary as a time like this is, uh, this is an important time for us as a church to remember that so that we can bear witness to our families and our friends and to the world 
right? That forgiveness and life and resurrection and eternal relationship with God and an unbreakable refuge in Jesus is available now through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. Which then brings me to our last point, which is found in verses 10 through 11. Verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So just one point here. Uh, be still does not mean don't have feelings. It doesn't mean stop talking. It, do, it means don't try to take control from Jesus. It means don't try to manipulate others in times of fear or manipulate Jesus to get what you want because of your fear. It means don't fill your mind with complaining and bitterness and words of distrust, but rather to fill your mind and your heart and your life with words of trust and actions of love. Or to put it positively, be still means to work hard to live a life of trust with Jesus when you'd rather not work that hard to do it. Or to put it even another way, relatedly, it means to work to live a life of love for God and neighbor when you'd rather not. You see, because he is our refuge, our close refuge, who fights for us, who shelters us with his forgiveness and his cleansing and his resurrection and his love, he calls us to live as those who are safe in him now and who are receiving the water of life from him now. And that looks like intentionally devoting ourselves to trust and love now, to the intentional practice of patience. It's no, it should not surprise us that throughout the Psalms and Romans 8, like we read, when God is describing times of conflict and turmoil and danger, what word does he repeat over and over again? Patience, patience, patience. To respond with patience. And again, that looks like intentionally devoting ourselves to trust and love. So here's what that means. When we are afraid, we need to look to Jesus in prayer. And then help others to look to Jesus in prayer. It means that when we are frustrated, we need to prayerfully practice repentance and forgiveness. We need to speak words that build up and don't tear down. It means we need to serve in Jesus' name before we are served. That's what it means to be still and know that Jesus is God and to wait in him with patience. And maybe we'll explore that more in the next sermon next Sunday. We'll see. Um, this series is sort of building itself as we go here. Uh, but in light of all that we've said, let me conclude with this. Learning to see God as our refuge, who is close and who gives us what we need, who is bringing total peace with him at Jesus' return, even while he is keeping us near him now, and learning how to live uh, out of that refuge is not something that just happens like that. And God knows that. And that's why I think the structure of Psalm 46 can really help us. Uh, you might have noticed that Psalm 46 is divided very nicely into three sections, which sort of roughly equal uh, how we've looked at it this morning, and that each section ends with Selah. 
Now it's true, we don't know exactly what Selah means, but we do know it comes from the Hebrew word that means to rest. And one really good guess that I think has a lot of spiritual value for us is that whenever you see the word Selah, that is an invitation to stop and think and meditate and pray about what you just read before moving on to the next section. To slow down and work to make what Jesus had just said to you there a part of you. And since that's just so important to how we can make Psalm 46 our own, to learning how Jesus is our refuge and how to live a still life of faith in him, I would encourage each of us to do that this week, my friends. Read each section, then stop. Pray it back to Jesus. Repeat it to yourself. Use it to frame your life this week, and then do it over and over again. Think of it as finding rest in Jesus by practicing resting your mind and heart on who Jesus is and what he does for you each day with his fresh grace so that together we can start plumbing the depths of what it means that Jesus is our refuge and can learn to live well in him so that in this time of global danger, we can shine the life-giving light of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Our trying God, we thank you that you are our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. We thank you that you are the God who brings us your refreshing grace, though we are besieged by enemies. And we thank you um, that uh, we can therefore live uh, quiet lives in you, shining the light of Jesus. But Lord, we confess that this is hard for us. And so we ask that in your mercy, uh, you would teach us what it means that you are our refuge and strength, that you would help us to make uh, your words and promises a part of us, that we would live well before you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.